This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette, and we're going to break down USC's throttling, dismantling, huge win over Stanford in the Coliseum last night, 56-10, to a not-so-fitting end to what is USC's longest rivalry and the first Pac-12 opener, or the last Pac-12 opener in the first Pac-12 game of the year for USC. It was all Trojans from the start, and it was really dominated by that first half in which USC went up 49-3 to at the half the third largest lead in Pac-12 conference history for 100 plus years it's the third highest margin of lead for any team in the entire conference but I'm sure you guys have thoughts make sure you're leaving them in the comments wherever you're watching we can put them on the screen if you want to call in either rant talk about your experience at the Coliseum or watching at home you can call in at 5124 tunnel and we'll get to those towards the end of the show Ryan I know you want to talk about the USC Stanford rivalry and the game that happened last night so I'm just going to give you the floor sure thanks Jack uh welcome Connor Jack and uh I know hopefully there's not too many rants after you know that kind of dismantling just like the word I used on Twitter was merciless, and that's it. Just seemed like Lincoln Riley. I thought Troy Taylor maybe kicked his dog or something. There was no letting up, even to the very end, challenging a touchdown. The only touchdown that Stanford scored. I got a text like ten minutes ago. Why did he? Uh, why did he challenge that final score? He didn't want to give up a touchdown. They were fighting till the end. Uh, please, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, like the uh, stream, and you can subscribe over there too. But as Jack mentioned. I got a little rant, a little opening rant to go with. Uh, I should have like prepared a little, which I didn't. I just, but I thought about this for a while. USC and Stanford, they started playing back in 1905. Jack mentioned the longest standing rivalry. The game goes back a long time. Uh, I was a freshman at USC back in 1989. You weren't around. You guys both, <laughs> both weren't around. That's okay. Uh, my freshman year coming from the East Coast was not like growing up a USC football fan or anything. I was just a freshman at USC. Todd Moredovich was the quarterback. Uh, Shane Foley would come in a little bit. Um, they played Jeff George in Illinois in their very first game, and it was they were up 13 nothing and lost 14-13. But they, you know, they won the Rose Bowl that year. It was really cool. Ricky Irvins. But they played Stanford. Uh, Dennis Green. Denny Green was the head coach at Stanford at the time. They wow. won, yeah, they won 19 nothing. Um, but there's a lot of back and forth over the years. There were some pretty bad Stanford teams and some bad USC teams, but I believe just looking at the records from 1989 on, USC won 19 games against Stanford. Stanford won 17. Um, there were times when USC was down, especially after Pete Carroll left and Jim Harbaugh. And you remember the what's your deal game. 
and uh, and David Shaw, and they, you know they they won a lot of games. I mean, I, I mentioned being in the press box for the uh, Pac-12 championship when Christian McCaffrey was running all over, and we could hear Justin Wilcox, the USC defensive coordinator, just screaming in the box next to us because we were right next to him. A lot of great moments to the rivalry. Just seeing the pageantry of the USC Trojan marching band and the Stanford band and the, the kind of halftime shows that the Stanford band would perform, making fun of anything Los Angeles, anything Hollywood, anything USC, Varsity Blues, OJ Simpson, whatever, they would do it all. They got that tree dancing around. My sister, who went to the University of San Diego, she's a couple years younger than me, would come up to go to USC games. You know, she didn't like Notre Dame, she didn't like UCLA, but man, she hated Stanford. She hated that tree. She didn't know much about college football. But it meant something to her whenever we would go up to the Bay Area because one of her friends would live up there and go to the games. And man, did she hate when USC lost to Stanford. There was just something about it. It felt different. It was like there's a, you know, the kind of Bay Area, LA, Bay Area thing going on. You know, LA's sort of indifferent to anyone that's not themselves. Like, you know, San Francisco teams, no offense, Jack, they, they, they chant beat LA. LA fans don't chant beat San Francisco. They don't really care. But there was something about this. Stanford and USC sort of connection, the weekender, all that kind of stuff. Going to the game on Saturday, yes, it was just a beatdown, a bludgeoning, 49 to 3 at halftime. It didn't look like they were playing the same sport, but it didn't feel the same. I was sad at the loss of the rivalry. It's not just because USC's going to the Big Ten and Stanford's going to the ACC. Uh, and the ACC might want to get their money back, I guess, after what they saw there. That was one of the tweets I had yesterday, but there's, that's losing something, right? The weekender's gone. There's, I get that, but even if this rivalry was going on, the feeling I got from this USC-Stanford game was not like what it used to be before. Looking around, you know, sitting next to RJ, who went to Stanford, graduated from Stanford, where's the Stanford band? Didn't even come. Now, sometimes it'd be fun because the Stanford band didn't come because they I think one time at the uh, at a Notre Dame game, they made fun of the Irish potato famine that <laughs> killed millions of people or whatever. You know, like, yeah, you can't do that stuff. So they get banned. They, they would get banned for making jokes that were inappropriate or whatever. And that's why they wouldn't be there. It just seems like now they don't care. Like, the reason they weren't there is because there's much less. They just don't care. Like, cultural balls changed. And Stanford and David Shaw, for, for sure, didn't really want to be part of that change. We've seen USC change. You know, NIL is a big part of things. The transfer portal. Stanford's just not doing that. And I feel like, you know, back-to-back three and nine seasons, not even firing any coaches. It just, it took forever to get some kind of change there. It seems like Stanford doesn't care about this college football world much anymore. And you could just feel it there. I mean, Connor, you know, a Syracuse grad, some guy that couldn't get on the field at Syracuse was playing quarterback for Stanford. Like that doesn't, how much sense does that make? Like this is, they had Andrew freaking luck. And now you got some cast off from Syracuse. Like it doesn't seem like Stanford cares anymore. And it, it was almost like you have this, like, you know, new UFC fighter coming in and they were fighting this for pay-per-view. Some like a George Foreman, like boxer over his prime that just can't even move. And then the, the young guy just beats the crap out of him. And it's just, you get a satisfaction out of that? Like, no, it's not very satisfying. I don't want the rivalry to go out this way. Like, yeah, if you're a USC fan, you're like, you get to beat some team that beat you. I'm sure you have bad memories of Stanford beating you, you know, the 41-point the favorite, all that kind of stuff, whatever it was. 
So yeah, you don't you don't feel bad, but I feel bad the that the rivalry feels like it's just died. It didn't feel like one someone came out on top. It just felt like one team passed away. Just felt they just fell off the face of the earth, and it like they wasn't there. And one of the coolest things as I, as a student when I was at USC, learning about this and watching you know the halftime shows. Here's the Stanford band, and you're like, how could these super smart people be dressed up like idiots and just running around the field? You know, acting like morons, and then this tree jumping around, and like this this school has like fifty billion dollars in uh, you know endowments and all and all the academic accolades and all this stuff. And here's what the band is. There was just something kind of unique about it. You don't even see it. And then the USC band, all buttoned up, would do the Stanford counter march, which was one of the cooler ones that you would see, where you would see the whole band kind of in like a boring sort of formation, and then they would like stop. One part of it would stop and jump it around and stuff, and then they go right back into in line. It was it was really cool. It was like a great sort of counterpunch to the weird stuff that Stanford was doing. That's just something that made this kind of a fun. And football players probably never see that stuff, but you know, you would in the press box, or you would as when you know, I was a student or as a fan. And none of that was there. They had an amazing uh, drone show. I thought that was really cool. You know, they had the band playing and the, and the drones and all that stuff. USC Stanford, that Stanford countermarch and the, the Stanford band going bananas, that was like a big part of what this was. And it just didn't feel like it was the same. It was like a shell of, of what the rivalry used to be. And to me, that's kind of sad. I mean, I love the fact that the Pac-12 is doing well this year. But USC Stanford, there was something there. And, you know, I had shotgun text me. I was like, is that really a rival? And I think – I think it is. You know, it's it's a rival, but it's something. It's a, a series that's been played a really long time, and it's got its own unique qualities, different than UCLA, different than Notre Dame, but unique nonetheless. And there's a lot of history there. And to see that sort of just kind of go up and smoke, it just made me kind of sad. So sorry for the long sort of rant there, but it's it didn't it it just felt like a little piece of college football died on Saturday night. As USC just steamrolled, like literally, said, like merciless, beating the pulp out of you know the dead horse was dead. It was just there was nothing else you could do. So, I mean, the fact that Traveler had to stop running because he was so tired in the first half. I mean, come on, Stanford. That's how you want this to go out. That's that's your your final. Like, come on. I, I yeah, I don't like it. Well, Stanford died. Stanford passed away, like you said. But USC killed him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Clay Helton coached USC does anything close to what happened yesterday. So while I totally get what you're saying, Ryan, I looked at USC last night, and it's against Stanford, who's terrible. Stanford did beat Hawaii. Hawaii's not good, but it's not like they're the bottom of the barrel in terms of Power 5 teams, or in terms of Division 1 teams, excuse me, not Power 5. And what USC did last night, firing on all cylinders in all three phases in that first half with that first team, that to me was very impressive. Not a very good opponent in Stanford, of course, but to me, I leave last night thinking, okay, I thought USC could make the college football playoff. I leave last night saying they should make the college football playoff. They're the best team in the Pac-12, and on a night when Washington made some mistakes, Utah against Baylor struggled, not having their starting quarterback hurts, of course, but, you know, they didn't look very good. Another game Oregon. in the Pac-12, Oregon, Oregon Texas Tech. I just thought USC looked so clearly better yeah. than everyone else in the conference. And that can change. Time can can change. You don't want to peak too soon. But I left last night thinking it's USC's Pac-12 to lose, and they should make the playoff. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, we have similar stories. I mean, I growing up in the Bay Area, when USC would come out to play, like that would be the only time I'd be able to go watch a USC game is when they'd come and they'd play Cal or Stanford 
in the Bay Area. So I'd, you know, every other year they'd, they'd roll into Stanford Stadium and they'd play Stanford. And really that was a game where, you know, maybe one team was better every year, but you never really knew going into a USC Stanford game. And I made my prediction on Thursday night in the studio and I said, I think Stanford's going to show up. Maybe they're not going to be a great team this year, but they, this is a rivalry game and they'll show up under the Coliseum lights. And that couldn't have been further from the truth. It's, I, I kind of said it this morning. If you told me it was going to be the best USC team of all time versus the worst Stanford team of all time, I still would have said it is impossible to have a 49-3 score at halftime. You just you never really expect that from USC-Stanford. And I think the best way to put it is it just didn't look like USC-Stanford out on the field yesterday. And I know Trojan fans are probably pretty happy about that because in the last kind of the last day with your with your ex now, you, you get the big win. You're the one that goes out with the victory. You're, you can kind of hold the bragging rights. Uh, you've won the season series, or I guess like really the series all time, and you get that emphatic last win. But I, I think you're right. It is a little bit of a bittersweet moment because this rivalry deserved far more than what Stanford put out on the field yesterday. And it deserves a good game. And yesterday you got a good game from USC, but it was far from a good football game in general. No, I, I think that's a great way to put it, Jack, that the rivalry deserved more than whatever... Whatever that was, I don't know what it was. I mean, I'm in the press box. And I'm like, uh, what are we going to do? Like, okay, I mean, I, I can film my revisiting my three keys. Like, nothing really matters. They're just absolutely. You could have filmed pleasure. that at <laughs> halftime. <laughs> yeah, you could have done whatever you want. You could have like went home. It did. It does. I, I I love the way you put that. They, you know, the rivalry deserved better than whatever uh, that was. And I, you know, maybe it was just me being a little optimistic that Troy Taylor had turned things around. It got very stale. Uh, with David Shaw. Like, you can't go three and nine and not fire anybody. And they let David Shaw do that. He finally resigns. They bring in Troy Taylor. They're recruiting well. They get a win against Hawaii. I'm like you, Jack. I'm like, okay, I think they're going to, they have a pulse. They're going to be better. And man, they were pulseless in that game. You know, it didn't help that, that Ashton Daniels went down, but I mean, it, it didn't look like he was going to do much either. So one, it's it's a little sad. It's still sad to me. One example of Stanford being pulseless was on the Caleb Williams touchdown run. The 10-yard line, Caleb clearly shows, hey, I'm going to run through the Stanford defensive back. You can either push him out of bounds, tackle me, or you can just get steamrolled. And the guy, I didn't even think made that good of an effort to even push Caleb Williams out of bounds or tackle him. And I think in that moment, it would maybe you don't want to say, okay, it's over because that was so early in the game. But that kind of told me all I needed to know. You get a free shot at the reigning Heisman winner, you get a chance to hit the quarterback in a game where hitting the quarterback can lead to some great things and it's really hard to do you get a free shot at him and chance to maybe slow down usc a little bit not give him a chance to score and you just lay down i think that was a prime example of stanford being pulseless and there was a bunch of other examples too but that kind of showed me everything i needed to know so to your point too the rivalry yeah it did deserve a better finish but that's stanford's fault i mean yeah the talent gap is huge but they look like they were not ready to compete from this the second kickoff started. They went into that game psyched out, and I think that was obvious from the first series. I think Brendan Rice mentioned it right that he was like sort of just getting out of the way and letting Caleb go through him. And then we, you know, if you're check out our YouTube channel, uh, Connor and I interviewed Taj Washington through the House of Victory a little bit earlier today, and and one of the things that I, he's very insightful, by the way. Like sometimes you know he, he'll give some short questions, uh, answers, and in interviews, but really insightful stuff if you're listening to what he has to say. And he's like, you can tell when you're blocking. Like, it's a big deal to block as wide receivers. If you're blocking, you can really tell if the person you're blocking gives a crap or not. And it just sounded like, from what he was saying, Stanford didn't give a crap. So it's uh, it's sad. I, I think it deserved more. But you could tell that that was just not. They were not. They were not into this one for whatever reason. 
Yeah, I think we expected USC is the better team you know, physically. They're more talented. They're more athletic. But it just looked like Stanford showed up and they didn't care about getting pushed around. I mean, you had Bear Alexander on every play, five yards deep in the backfield because he's just pushing the guy in front of him. It didn't even take, at, at some point, you know, a whole ton of technique because Stanford just, it just felt like they did not show up to play the same sport as USC. Things slowed down in the second half. You can ask Lincoln Riley about it, and he said after the game, like, USC was trying to toe a line to try and figure out, you know, how respectful they should be in the second half, which that isn't something that should be uttered around the USC-Stanford rivalry. Like, this is a team where, or this is a rivalry where the two teams go at each other. They're both normally very good. Stanford, even in their bad years, you would say this is a physical football team. Like, they will still run the ball. They're going to push you around. They might not score. They might not play well enough on defense, but they're always going to have that mentality that, hey, we're strong intellectually and physically, and it just showed up, and they just did not match up. The bodies for USC were just pushing around the Cardinal, and and I think that Taj Washington kind of quote that he had really just sums it up, where when they figured out that Stanford didn't care about how they were being blocked and, and they just realized that they could have their way. They just decided, well, if we can have our way, why should we slow down at all? And you look up at halftime and that's how you put up 49 points. USC was getting everything they wanted and they didn't slow down for the first 30 minutes. And then I think they took their foot off the gas pedal. There's no arguing about that. But clearly for the first half, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, the defense, the special teams knew they could do whatever they wanted and they kind of just did until they were up by so much. Yeah, you know, Ryan in the chat brought up a point about, you know, how could, uh, he said, how come the Stanford band and mascot weren't there for the last game? And I didn't even think about that aspect of it. Like, normally something like this, there would have been all these, you know, Stanford band would have done this halftime show about like money, rating from this guy, you know, USC leaving for the money for the Big Ten. Like, they were just made fun of USC nonstop. It would have been like entertaining. And like the fact that this is the last time these guys are going to play for who knows how long. And there was nothing. And I never got a good answer. I think RJ was checking on it, why the Stanford band wasn't there. If anybody in the chat knows, if you read anything. So sorry for the long round on that. But yeah, Ryan just pointed that out in the chat. I'm like, yeah, dude, this is the last one. Could, they're going to, I mean, they would always come up with something topical. You know, you don't always like it, but it, there were so many opportunities for something here and uh, they didn't get to do it. Was it because the students aren't in school yet? That was my only possible thought. There, that's RJ did mention that the students are in school, but I mean, you can do something like, I don't know. It's, it was, it was sad. Did you guys take anything away from USC though? Because I think in that game, yeah, Stanford is terrible, but I, I left being really impressed with USC and it changed the, the ceiling that I thought I had for this team coming into the year. I, I, I really was that impressed with it. And I think we can start to talk about Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams their potential to be an all-time play caller quarterback duo in college football history. USC, three games, three bad teams. I get it. I think they're going to continue to do really well offensively against the better teams on their schedule. This offense is really, really good. They figured out their offensive line. It looks like Caleb Williams had all day. I expect the offensive line to have a good season. I really think this offense could be generational. Yeah, I think you're taking. You could take away that USC is really freaking good, and like, like, I think like the defense looks better, right? So. They almost made the playoff with a crap defense yeah. last year. And then maybe the defense isn't perfect. Like, I don't know where they're going to be ranked. But it's significantly better. Like, you're getting disruption up front. The offense is better. Like, they're, you know, uh, Marshawn Lloyd's going to be an absolute stud. Uh, Taj Washington's leading the team in receiving 
yards and you know they, they can just throw it to any guy they want and it's fine and the, you know Brendan Rice does one he catches one ball a game and it's a touchdown you know it's like okay that's um it's there's so much you can do there so yes I agree with you like the takeaway is you can only beat who's in front of you there are three not so great teams in front of USC and they wallop them all like we've seen good teams struggle against mediocre to bad teams and we've seen them lose in some of these so the fact that you've walloped everybody that's great and uh, you know, I talked to Harvey High this morning. We put up a podcast. He's concerned. You know, USC hasn't been tested yet, which is true. It's a little bit different when someone punches you back. You know, when when you get hit in the mouth. You know, Mike Tyson is like every everyone has a plan to get punched in the face or hit punch in the mouth or whatever it is. Um, and USC hasn't been punched in the face yet. Like there's they you know San Jose State uh, you know had a couple plays. You know, but outside of that, it hasn't happened. But the takeaway would be they look like the best team of the conference to me. And I know some people didn't want to pick them. And um, we didn't even have them in at USC as like the number one team in our power rankings for the podcast of champions. But they will be after this week. You know, like, <laughs> Who was? We had Oregon State. They look good. Yeah, oh, they look really good, on. too. Um, I mean, but USC like was meh. They were okay against San Jose State. You know, I guess they didn't cover the spread. But, you know, winning by 52, winning by... 46 or whatever like okay like i don't know what you, there's a conference game you win by 46 um so yeah like they they look like so the takeaway is they look like the best team um uh, so sorry for the long like sad that stanford stinks rant but <laughs> no no it, it's okay and it's just <laughs> i mean they just have pros on their team caleb williams is a pro marshawn lloyd is a pro jonah monheim is a pro dorian singer is a pro taj washington is a pro on defense bear alexander pro Kalen bullock is a pro to be really, really good in college football, it helps when you have a bunch of future professionals on the team. And I thought all of your future professionals last night made plays that made me think, okay, these guys are NFL bound. These guys are the real deal. And yeah, it's against Stanford. And I'm going to keep saying, and I'm repeating myself. I, I got to stop repeating myself all the time on these shows. They're so good. And that to <laughs> me, real like against San Jose State, I wasn't impressed. And then, okay, maybe they treated it like an exhibition. I get it. They ramped up against Stanford. And what did they do? They could have won 100 to nothing. Yeah, I, I think the the big takeaway for me is that we have seen good games under Lincoln Riley, and we've seen good games from position groups. We've seen, you know, maybe the defense itself didn't have a great day, but like the defensive line had a really nice day against Nevada. You know, the linebackers had a good day, but the secondary struggled. I thought yesterday was at least at, at least in the Lincoln Riley era the best team game that USC has played. Everyone on the offense was working in full sync. We're used to that, but then everyone on the defense was playing together. And then not only was it, you know, those sides were working well with each other, they were working well kind of cross sides as well. So when the offense would play well, the defense would respond, get them the ball back. Then the offense would go score. The defense would get a stop. Then there's a special teams touchdown. And it's like every piece was just feeding off each other. They were feeding off the crowd, which was insane as well. At least 70,000 people had to be in attendance, filling up corners of the Coliseum that haven't been filled in a little while. I felt like not only were they playing together, they, they were playing with the entire 70 you know players that got on the field. Every Everyone kind of was going for that same mission. They all felt like they were doing everything everything at the same time with the same goal instead of playing like position groups or individuals it just felt like one big team and I think that's what allowed him to get out so far ahead and then they didn't stop once they were up by a little bit and Lincoln Riley's team last year and, and I think it's different because the talent maybe wasn't there at some different position groups and everything like that but there would be teams there would be games where you know USC is the better team. They're the more talented team. They're the more physical team. They should blow this team out. And then they just wouldn't. It would be close. You can look at that Cal game, the Arizona game, which is a little different because of some of the, the 
I guess the, the referee decisions that went on in that one. <laughs> but there were games that we, we said going in, USC should win this game by a lot. You would watch the first half and say, USC should win this game by a lot. And then all of a sudden, Caleb Williams has to make a run on third down to win the game late for USC to win by one score or 10 points, something like that. And they haven't had a game like that this year yet because they've just been really putting their foot to the gas and speeding off until there's no doubt. They're not leaving any question in the mind of the people watching. And RJ Abadia, I think, summed this up perfectly in the article that he wrote last night. And it's on the website, uscfootball.com, if you want to go read it. Like, they have developed that killer instinct, which good teams are able to go out there and win every game, even against the bad teams. Great teams are the ones that they just show you how good they are, no matter how good you are on the other side. They will play just as well against the number one team in the nation as they will against the worst team in the nation, and they won't feel bad about it. It was relentless, uh, merciless, like we talked about. They, they weren't going to let up, and then, uh, you know, in the second half, kind of empty the bench. It was over at that point. I mean, it's like the fight's over. Okay, now you're just going to get reps for your your backup guys. And Lincoln Riley still wasn't happy, you know, like the way the offensive line played. But I, I do like, and I address this sort of in my the three keys to victory, I, you're going to beat Stanford, but there's things you want to show like, you know, hey, we're going to improve that. Like, week one, the USC secondary had a lot of penalties, you know, and they improved that in week two. They didn't get that. And uh, we didn't see it in week three either. But week two, or, I mean, game two, uh, the offensive line had five penalties. You know, they had some issues. There were some bad snaps. So I wanted to see the offensive line play cleaner. And they did. You know, they did well. Uh, ben Uresic is a, is a great tight end. Like, he could he could hurt you. USC's been hurt by tight ends. Limit his production. You know, they were able to do that. Oh, you got an athletic quarterback. Don't let the quarterback position run all over you. You know, they, they ran the ball like 17 times out of the quarterback spot and averaged like 2.3 yards a carry or something. So there were, they the things that like, oh, this is something that's been an issue, sort of like a talking point, you could check it off. Like, nope, we're not going to let that happen. We're not going to let that happen. So I felt like, Jack, you're right. Like, there's... They they address things and you know Lincoln Riley said it was all three sides of the game uh, or yeah I think it was I think that's the word mm-hmm. he used um, you know they they played well in special teams I I have someone that harps on special teams a lot and he goes he went out of his way to talk about the blocking was really good and they were you know one penalty away from getting a second return for a touchdown but yeah that, I felt like they did exactly what you needed to do against an overmatch opponent you just. Sometimes you just don't even know what to think when it's just that bad. It's like, how bad could it? It's, this is really, really bad. But they did every. The good thing for USC is they did everything right. And that's why it was that bad. Do or a big part of the reason. Do you want to know what the stat of the night is for me? Okay. Caleb Williams played 39 snaps and USC scored 49 points. <laughs> so every snap that he took, USC averaged over a point per snap. It's football. It's supposed to be hard. Oh my goodness. That is nuts. Yeah, they had over 400 yards in the first half. Like, it was just like, okay. I, I remember like when they were going over that, I'm like, had the tweet ready. I'm like, USC just went over 400 yards and it's the second quarter. When, they, when <laughs> Williams connected with Rice for the touchdown, it was like, I, I tweeted the, the gift, throw the damn towel, like stop the fight. It's over. It was, it was like beating a dead horse and Traveler Speaking of horses, couldn't even run. Like you mentioned, it was so tired. Oh, man. So, yeah, Stanford stinks, but USC's pretty good. I think uh, that's, a, that's a great way to sum it up. Stanford, Stanford bad, <laughs> USC good. <laughs> it, it's, it wasn't even like a blowout. Like this is this is history where there's the most points USC has ever scored against Stanford. The most coming in was 54 and they put up 49 in the first half. If they didn't stop, they could have gotten to 70, 80, you, you kind of I think they could have gotten to 100. They could have potentially gotten to 100. A lot of things went right to allow them to get 49 in the first half, but with the amount that they were wearing down Stanford, maybe they could have gotten to 100. The 49 the 46 
point halftime lead was the third highest lead for any Pac-12 team in the conference's history. Like this is a hundred plus years that we're talking about a Pac-12 football, and that's the third highest halftime margin for a given team. Like it just it was just a different brand of football. I think it's up there with any you can pretty much pick out any half. Maybe the context is different because Stanford obviously isn't a great team, but it's up there for one of the best halves USC football has ever played of all time. Statistically, it has to be one of the best halves in college football history. I mean, just putting up a 50-burger basically in one half is crazy considering how many games last year we were like, well, does USC score 50 this game? And they put it up in 30 minutes. Yeah, that, I mean, we pick against the spread, and uh, I thought USC would. I mean, I thought Stanford would cover. Like they, would, yeah, they'll win by like four touchdowns, but just not cover like the twenty-nine. And it was just like just motoring through there. Like sometimes, and you're watching a game for the spread, and it's a big part of college sports now. And it's a big spread you got to cover. Every oh, you don't score at the end of half. All those little things you have to do. Like USC did exactly everything you needed to do, like to try to cover a big spread. Like they got stop every time. They punted once. You know, it was just like there was like some deep balls like on third and three. You're like, what are they doing there? But they could, you know, if they just ran the ball up the middle, they would have scored a touchdown on that drive too. Um, I think they were just trying to do things. But no matter what they did, it was like this is going to be a huge play. And then you know. The, you're like, oh, maybe Stanford could get a stop here and score. And it's, it's like Caleb Williams, Brendan Rice, 75 yards, boom. It's like there was nothing. There was just nothing you could do. Um, you know, I don't know if any of us saw it going like that way, but man, it was <laughs> that was crazy. Shotgun said USC might score 70, and they definitely could have if they kept the offense. Yeah, he up. was big on it. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, Jack and I both picked USC to cover. And I got to shout out USC 75 bio on the Peristyle because he commented on your post where we all predicted the spreads finally get to identify the losers on the staff usc will separate themselves this week maybe then the losers will become believers <laughs> it's not about believers do you understand it's like a point spread like they're like this is not i just wanted to get you i didn't think up. usc was going to win like i knew usc was going to win i just think they were going to cover that big of a point spread but like when, when i miss on my next spread please hold my feet to the fire sure team. yeah, yeah. Uh, i think I, my score prediction was 48 to 17 or I think yeah, I think it's at 48 17 which is still them covering and they they scored more points in the first half than I thought they'd score for the entire game and I think the so. the 17 you know I thought it would be like 49 24 like I thought you know that's that's a lot of points seven touchdowns to score that's that's plenty against a, a rival and you know you give up a touchdown here touchdown maybe a late touchdown uh, Stanford scored 14 points against USC in the fourth quarter last year uh, USC didn't score, you know, Stanford outscored USC 14 nothing in the fourth quarter. You're like, ah, something like that, backdoor kind of cover. Nope, like there was nothing. Uh, so that's like, what do you say? Like the defense did really well because you could see a game like this, it's a blowout, but you give up 24 and not, seven, you know, three until the very end. You know, like that's, to me, that's a great sign for this defense that even though it's an overmatched team, they still were able to, to not even let them get close. You know, would you still feel really good if it was 56-24? Like, yeah, you just, you just beat the crap out of Stanford. But 56, you know, 10 is a, it's like a whole nother thing. Like, you're just not even letting them score at all. And you took out your starters and you played, you know, 30 minutes without them. And it still didn't You only gave up one score that Lincoln Riley thought still wasn't a score when he was uh, challenging it. So that's, uh, to me, the, if you want to get a takeaway, like that's pretty impressive for the defense that they weren't able, they didn't give up much of anything. We did talk too about some of the matchups that USC would have to face. David Bailey, a great edge rusher for Stanford. He didn't do anything yeah. in this game. So shout out to Michael Tarquin, who at right tackle was blocking him for most of the game. That was really encouraging. Ben Urosic had a couple catches, but Kalen Bullock broke up. That fourth and goal, 
pass from either Lampson, I think it was not Daniels, he was out at that point, to eliminate a potential score for Stanford. And Stanford had a cornerback who has a bright future who didn't do much. So in this game, we talked about these matchups that we were going to watch, and USC just blew freaking doors, and it didn't even matter. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I I think Lincoln Riley had a a pretty nice game plan because I think he realized – David Bailey is the one player that can wreck things for us offensively, and he just neutralized him. From the from the jump, he said, we're not going to let David Bailey beat us. They did everything horizontally at the plane of the line of scrimmage. Didn't even really try and throw the ball vertically at all and give Bailey a chance to rush, rush the passer. It was a lot of motion moving from left to right. I mean, basically, Caleb Williams was either dumping the ball off at the line of scrimmage, running himself, and then throwing a little bit downfield. Like They never gave David Bailey a real chance to get any kind of normal pass rush off. And they one time, they played into his aggression on, the, on Marshawn Lloyd's touchdown. If you go back and watch the replay, they let David Bailey take a, a clean shot at Caleb Williams if he wanted it. He over-pursued, and Lloyd just ran right by him, and David Bailey just whips his head around as, as Lloyd runs into the end zone. So I thought they did a really good job game planning. They realized, here's the threat. On defense for for Stanford, it's David Bailey on the edge. What do you do to neutralize an edge rusher? You get him moving uh, left and right instead of forward. Uh, and I think they really did a good job neutralizing him. Never really gave him a chance. And then when they were tired, you know, the the, the offense didn't give him much time on the sideline. Caleb Williams comes back out. They move him to the right. And they just throw a 75-yard bomb to, to <laughs> Brendan Rice. It's like, well, you've been you've been going horizontal on us all day long, so we're going to try and play that. Well, now you've got you know the son of Jerry Rice, who he claims to be the fastest player on the team, and you have to defend him one-on-one as he's trying to go deep. And, and I thought they did a really good job game planning and then just not letting their foot off the gas pedal in the first half because they definitely could have. when They were up by, I think, 35 at the time they threw that bomb. And you're like, well, this game is already over. Is USC just going to kind of go into the half? No, they came out and they threw a 75-yard play to start a drive to score another touchdown to go up by 42 points in the first half yeah David Bailey you heard his name a little bit but it was mostly like making tackles out in the flat so yep. I think they schemed him so if if your best pass rusher is making tackles that you know at the sidelines uh you know that's pretty good so he's not coming after your quarterback and like Jack mentioned if he does you can you know you can beat him with another way so I thought they game planned that really well but you, you met you know, there's names there's Stanford has guys that are going to be playing at the next level and none of them really made an impact in this one people will roll their eyes but it's two weeks in a row lincoln riley has had a brilliant game plan against nevada he said we're gonna throw it we're gonna throw it down the field throw 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 and they win 66 14 i think that was the final score so i mean that was impressive and then jack you just nailed that analysis was great david bailey's a home wrecker let's do a lot of stuff sideline to sideline and let's get guys in space and what's so interesting it's fascinating to watch USC. If you double-team one receiver, someone will be open. You can't do it. Everyone has to go man-to-man, or if you play zone, you have to be perfect guarding your territory. And you see that they're going to be able to just make so many open plays because breakdowns are going to happen with all the talent that they have at the skill spot. So many guys return from last year, so Lincoln Riley talks so much about being in year two. So many of these skill guys are in year two. Just keep going because – or just keep watching, excuse me, not going, because – I, I think the best is yet to come. They're 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 on the the upward trajectory for sure. Yep. Well, and the funny thing is they've got all the momentum in the world. Well, maybe the best three game stretch to start a season for USC in, in quite some time. And you know you could make the argument in history. Now they're going to buy a week, which is it, it's interesting. They've got that early season buy. I'm sure if you ask the guys, they're like, well, coming off that win, do you want to play next week? They'd probably say yes. But I'm sure they'll take the rest and then they'll go into that hard stretch before we kind of move on to questions and and callers. Are there any specific players you guys want to highlight from yesterday? I know that we've talked kind of a lot about just the. Team 
team in general because it did feel like such a team played game but were there any individual performances that really stood out to you guys i think uh like marshawn lloyd uh you know we did our picks for mvp and i was like he had a touchdown and then he had a second touchdown call back for a penalty but he was up there i think he would have been you know potential um and they you know austin jones it was great to see him sort of get another touchdown against his former team but i love the way the running backs are, are looking and um you know you haven't needed them no one's getting like 15 carries or anything like that but you might get into a game where it's just like hey you got to run the football and uh, i thought the holes have been good and you know these guys are running hard Marshawn Lloyd just there's he just looks like a different kind of dude when he's running the football. So uh, I would say, yeah, he's someone to kind of watch going forward. It was my, my MVP pick. I was like, come on, come on, and he didn't uh, he didn't get that second touchdown. I start with Caleb Williams, and I wrote about this after the game. Some of the touchdown passes are incredible, but the creative arm angles that he has, and he did it last year, but he just looks improved. The fact that he can throw a ball sidearm and it goes around an oncoming defender instead of over where it would potentially get batted down or even worse intercepted he's making these plays that okay I can see why he's going to be the number one pick in the draft I can I, I understand and him and coach Riley just being on the same page the synergy between the play caller and the quarterback is exceptional and I think as the year goes on I really believe that they'll go down as one of the best partners partnerships of all time so I, I start with Caleb Williams because Man, was I impressed with him. He he just on all in all facets looks so good. Defensively, Bear Alexander, the push he made on that first series that led to the Max Williams interception. Are you kidding me? He he, he burst right through that offensive line. You, you didn't see many plays like that last year. I think the defense being a lot more uh, talented overall leads to Solomon Bird having some matchups that maybe he wouldn't otherwise have, and he's really taking advantage of those. Him on one end, Jamil Muhammad on another end is a pretty dangerous combination, so I look at those two guys. I didn't think Stanford was a very serious football team throwing the ball, so I don't really have too many takeaways from the secondary. I think it's fair to have takeaways, even though Stanford isn't very good, from the defensive front. I thought the linebackers played well. I thought the defensive line played really well for the second game in a row and against an inferior opponent. That's really encouraging. So overall, those are when you ask that question, Jack, that's what comes to mind for me. But I, I start with Caleb and then some guys on the defense. Yeah, I think it has really stood out across the last two weeks that like we knew Caleb Williams was the best player on the offense coming in and we knew that USC had more talent on defense and you're kind of wondering, okay, but like who's the Caleb Williams with the defense? I think it's Barry Alexander. I think he's by far the most talented player on that defense. He has made the biggest impact through a couple weeks. There have been good players. You know, Kalen Bullock is a potential first round pick, one of the better free safeties in college football. Jamil Muhammad has been money off the edge, but Barry Alexander is just different and, he, and you kind of feel his presence on every play. And when there's a team that has an offensive line that isn't the strongest he just knows he's going to push you over he had a play against Nevada where he just picked the center up and moved him to the side and said well I want to go after the quarterback now so get out of my way and he had just plays against Stanford where he would just push just push forward through the line and on that one play on the Max Williams interception it was a play action so Ashton Daniels had his back turned to the line of scrimmage he didn't even finish his drop and Barry Alexander was five yards past the original line of scrimmage really just almost almost hugging him already before Daniels finished his drop so all he did was kind of spin around and fling it to the sideline and Max Williams was there to make the interception so it was complimentary football and Barry Alexander is a player that 
across the last three weeks, even though he hasn't shown up on the stat sheet a whole ton, at least the conventional one for sacks and TFLs, he's made a big impact. Uh, I think PFF said that going into the game, he had the most pressures for an interior D lineman in all of college football with eight, had a lot more yesterday, and I think that he's kind of that one player that's been showing up. I thought the secondary played a lot better yesterday than they did across the first two games. I think that was kind of a them stepping up after hearing the criticism. They played the ball really well in the air. That's something Dan Weber said on Instant Analysis yesterday, that they, they were watching the ball, they saw it, and they kind of were turning around to it more than they had in the first couple of weeks, slapping it away, you know, ripping it out of hands. That play by Kalen Bullock in the end zone was exceptional against yeah. ben- Benjamin Urosik. He just pulled it out of his hands on fourth down, and that's not a play that USC makes last year. There was that play late in the Cotton Bowl where, you know, just the throw over the middle in the end zone. USC tried to do that to rip it out, but Tulane was able to hold on and ended up winning the game, but it was just a little bit of a different play there from Kalen Bullock. I thought Christian Roland Wallace had a similar play. Max Williams obviously had a good day. Damani Jackson, you didn't hear his name quite as much, and I think that is sometimes a good thing. You know, with, when, with corners, if if they're quiet, that means that they're covering guys a little bit better. They're not getting targeted quite as much. I thought the, the secondary stepped up a whole lot. And then you saw that linebacker rotation. I don't think anyone like specifically stood out. You had Rajon Davis with a nice play against Jurassic early in the game. Eric Gentry had a couple nice tackles, but I thought you know, when the linebackers are playing well, you don't hear their names quite as much either because they're not missing tackles, they're not getting lost in coverage. So I thought it was overall a good day for the defense, but you know, it was kind of Bear Alexander, Kalen Bullock were the guys that really stood out to me. And I want you know, shout out the offensive line. I actually yeah. went to a little um, event earlier today. So it's kind of interesting, the whole NIL world, like you know, the fact that we interviewed Rajon Davis last week and we got to do Taj Washington this week through House of Victory, you know, the collective uh, that, that helps a lot of these USC athletes. The offensive line is actually sponsored by uh, uh, Athletic Brewing Company, which is a non-alcoholic brewer, uh, brewery, uh, San Diego, and I think um, North Carolina. Um, but they were they had an event at Top Golf today, and um, Connor wasn't able to make it, so I, I went over there and uh, fun, you know, it was fun hanging out with the with the guys. So Gina Cagnotti did show up. He had like a, a cane. Um, no. You know, yeah, getting through Sorry, there. I shouldn't laugh at that. No, it's uh, yeah, it's like it, so. But I didn't think he would come. He was supposed to be there, uh, but I didn't think he would come. But you know, he had the surgery and he was there. But you know, Jonah Monheim and uh, Justin Dietrich and uh, Michael Tarquin and uh, um, Blanken on uh, the other uh, Monheim, Dietrich, Tarquin, Kingston, Kingston, Jared Kingston. Sorry, um, yeah, sorry, it's like blank on one of the names there. But you know, so those five guys were there. Uh, signing autographs and, and doing stuff, and then we went up and hit a few balls. Um, I don't think anyone um, you know are winning any golf competitions, but uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Kingston was probably the better golfer of the ones. But you know, uh, Monheim, big dude, he, he took some some mighty cuts at uh, at some of those. But it was cool to like see them, and then it was funny. So I hung out with them, and we were just chatting, and um, you know, I took picture. I think I think Jack probably put the picture up there if you watch it on YouTube. And uh, it was cool, and it, it's it's fun to kind of see them doing these events that they could actually get compensated for. And then at the end, they were all given these contracts, and I didn't look at what they said, but you know, you're signing something, so they they did their their appearance, and they get like they get paid for it. And I was talking to one of the guys, and they're like, it's it's fun to do. He said he likes dealing with these college athletes because a lot of them or most of them don't have agents. He goes, sometimes it's hard to get you guys have agents and they can't even show up to things and stuff. And he said these the college guys are very respectful and they're showing up to what they're supposed to do. So it's kind of cool to just got to get a feel for that and just ch- chat with those guys, you know, about like, hey, you didn't have to play in the second half. And Dietrich was telling me he's like. He, he wanted to look at his, you know, for three games, the number of snaps he's played. Like, he thinks that's like a low for how many snaps he had to play through three games because they, you know, didn't play 
one half of one, you know, four quarter, two, a quarter and a half of another, and like at least a quarter of the other one. So um, it's kind of interesting from there, like there's a little less wear and tear on their bodies and stuff too, because they don't have to, to play as much. But it was just a cool little thing. I just wanted to share like, um, you know, the kind of experience that was there and, and kind of see sort of this behind the scenes, some of the, the NIL stuff that they do. Gotta love NIL opportunities for linemen too. Yes. We see Zachariah Branch get a little run because he's having such a good start to the season as a true freshman and as, as a guy who scores touchdowns, but it's nice to see the O-linemen get compensated as well because they're doing that dirty work. I guess the, I think Texas and Florida State and USC are the three offensive lines that Athletic Brewing um, sponsors, so... Uh, they've done different events like that, so that was kind of fun. Well, for the people that are you know superstitious at all, Texas and and Florida State have some big ranked wins. So if they're if they're going off yeah. that, then maybe you, one is in USC's future. But I think that's what people want NIL to look like: is those kind of events where the players they show up, people are able to interact, and then they get compensated for that. That world of NIL is much better than the one where high school recruits want money to go on a visit yeah. like that that's not what nil is for nil is for this other stuff where they're given their time they're out there for the public and then they're getting compensated based on that but we've got a couple of callers to get to and i'm sure that the thoughts yes. are going to be absolutely incredible this week uh just another psa we said it last week make your thoughts quick under a minute please uh and if you have questions tell us you have a question uh, but also if you want to just kind of give us your thoughts about last night's game feel free but we'll go to our first caller not sure the name but Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, uh, this is Brandon from Minnesota. Uh, so uh, just want to give a quick shout-out to Grant. She's been calling a great game the past few games. So shout-out to him. And uh, the hate should quiet down, I hope. But uh, my question is, uh, if uh, USC, Georgia, um, Texas, uh, Florida State, and Michigan go undefeated, who are you picking for the CFP? Okay, so Georgia, you're in. Like Georgia's in. Even I, though they have like they, they like if you just look at this year, their schedule is the weakest, but they're two-time national champion. They're in. Like they're not being left out. Um, Florida State just got a big win. I think USC's record w or schedule would stand up with any of them yep. if they go undefeated because there's eight ranked teams in the Pac-12 right now. Um, so that helps for sure. What were the teams? He said Michigan, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Texas, USC. First of all, I will say I've, I find a hard time. I have a hard time imagining that as a possibility. We've never, I don't think, seen five like pure blue blood D1 programs go undefeated in the same year. Like it just doesn't happen, especially with conference title games. I, I think if I had to pick because it's a hypothetical scenario, Georgia, Michigan and USC are all in and then be. Because I think it's the ACC, and that's the conference that kind of gets the most disrespect nowadays, I'd say Florida State gets left out. I think Texas would get in based on kind of name value. And I I do think they're going to have a harder schedule, especially if Clemson drops a couple games this year. That's limiting you know, a big win potentially for Florida State, especially since both of those wins, LSU and Clemson, would come very early in the season for the Knowles. I think they'd kind of get and Florida caught. stinks too, right? Like yeah. Florida, that's your big, that's a big rival or that. I don't they stink. I don't know if they've got North Carolina on the schedule. Like maybe that's who they'd come across in the, in the championship game. But like, I think they, they're going to get their wins early. If, and even if they go undefeated, like everyone else is going to have the wins late. USC is going to have those. Georgia's going to win the SEC championship game, which, you know, they're going to be playing a pretty highly ranked team. Michigan will have beaten Ohio state and Penn state at least once each. Um, and I think that Florida state would have those early wins, but, 
they'd kind of get lost in the sauce and the conversation is as the yeah. year went on. So that that would be my pick for the four. But that's like a tortoise and a hare thing. Like they're they're the hare right now. But I think if, if you just past. say any one of those teams goes undefeated this year, they're in the playoff because I doubt that there's going to be all five of them undefeated. Georgia, Texas, Michigan would be in for sure, and then it would be down to USC and Florida State. Pretty much what Jack said. I think I thought that was good analysis. And we'll see. Florida State, if LSU ends up having a better year after getting dominated by Florida State, maybe that win looks really good. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I might pick USC to be the team that would, that would be out in that situation. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, – Over would, Texas? Or like, so well, Tex- Texas beat Alabama. Okay, they beat Alabama, who's probably not going to be that great. They don't have a quarterback. Texas's wins, yeah, they'd be Alabama. you get Oklahoma later in the year. Tech, like the Big 12 has lost a whole bunch of games it, it, to the it, Pac-12 it, already. It's so. Texas. They're, they're above USC in the poll right but now. That, that's right now. They're not going to have the opportunities to – like. they were not going to beat like Notre Dame on the road and then Oregon on the road and Washington at home. And if Texas is undefeated, they're making it. I don't think – I think USC is ahead of Texas. I would agree. I think, I yeah. think honestly, if, if you have all those five teams, and we won't know, you know – What's the quality of win like? This is a great talk show debate. I love this. We don't know what the quality of win like, but say all the teams, all these five teams, win the rest of their games by the same margin – I, I wouldn't be surprised if USC would have the number one college football playoff ranking. They would have had the most easily the most ranked wins based on how it is right now with eight ranked teams in the Pac-12. I, I wouldn't be surprised if all those teams go undefeated. Like USC's schedule, if they go undefeated, I wouldn't be surprised if they're number one just because of how hard it's going to be to go undefeated. Yeah. We'll see, but I mean, I certainly there's just not a lot the, of yeah. The, I don't think I don't think so. over the Big Texas Twelve is sure. down over, over Georgia. The over Big Texas Twelve is for sure. Yeah, over Texas for sure. The Big Twelve is down. They're just not going to have the opportunities to get big wins like USC can do. That USC, you're saying already, USC's undefeated. That means week after week of all these teams that are ranked. There's Utah. There's Washington. There's Oregon. You know, it's like maybe you play Oregon State in the championship. We'll game. see who's ranked. That none of those teams look very good this weekend. But they're all ranked, though. We'll, we'll see who stays but ranked. Texas has Oklahoma, and but they beat the Big it. Twelve teams. Like the, the these early games matter because then you look at them later. Like last year, like Oregon. Well, you could always look back at they just got boat raced by Georgia to start the season. For this is the year that the Pac-12 went out and won all those big games, especially against the Big Twelve. You know, so the Pac-12 has the edge on the Big Twelve this year. So the Big Twelve champion is not going to be ahead of the Pac-12 champion. I think USC could be better than Texas, but across the country. The college football playoff committee, Texas undefeated, USC is undefeated. They're nope. taking Texas no ahead of USC. Way. Yes, this is, this yes, is your they first are. like horrible, horrible take. All right, we'll move on. Uh, to, <laughs> uh, just to make sure that you did not just. Uh, <laughs> they're is not going to like that is one. Is this hook them? Yeah, I did this. Uh, hook them. Let's move on before Connor can have another bad take. We've got another. Uh, we've got another caller coming in. Dave from Iowa. Hey, Dave, you're on Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, Dave from Iowa. Great performance yesterday. Uh, defense really showed up, and I think I speak for all SD fans where this was the kind of defense performance we expected throughout the first three games. And I understand the first two games it was a mixing match. And I get that, but hey, last night's performance that 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 was kind of the level we expected for three consecutive games. But you know, since it's a bye week, I guess I can come in with you know you know, a different question, so to speak. Uh, so last week, Caleb Williams' dad was on the radio and, you know, discussed the idea of, you know, the pros and cons of going number one in the in the NFL draft and the idea of him potentially, um, you know, staying, returning for the 2024 season. Um, I'm just curious, you know, if, like, so to speak, um, or, you know, so to speak, or, sorry, so to speak, if his dad does want him to leave early but do not be first overall, do you think he should just tell his on to throw more interceptions jokingly i mean like you know number one it's the number one overall pick 
the only person that that has like in a sense forced his way into going to the team he wanted to is Eli Manning. Which, aside from that, that's the only team that that's the only person that's done that. So, what do you think? Does Caleb? Do you think you know from his father's comments? Do you think he stays for the twenty twenty four season? Thanks for the the uh, call, Dave. So here's what he shouldn't do: he shouldn't like run around in the pocket, and when there's like a little check down, ignores it, runs back around, runs to his right, and then throws a bullet with a weird arm angle to Dorian Singer in the back of the end zone to make every scout that was like, uh, I had him won, but only by like this much of a margin, then go, oh, no, I haven't won by this much of a margin. Like, you've basically just cemented your place as the number one person, like draft pick. Like, there's no question. Um, I, I don't think there's any way he comes back. I think this is more just sort of like, posturing a little bit and just sort of like oh just hey this is something we could do to sort of kind of get what you you know if you, if you don't want to be drafted by a certain team or whatever um i don't think there's really any chance of that but you got to not do you throwing more picks isn't going to do it they just see a throw like that and they're like yeah that's the dude we want it's it, there's these <laughs> kind of talks every year trevor lawrence had the same talks around him hey is he going to, to avoid going one so he doesn't go to Jacksonville everyone this year is picking the Jaguars to win the AFC South so I don't think it really matters you never even really know going into a year who's going to have the number one overall pick everyone thought it would be the Bears last year the Seahawks last year Seahawks went to the playoffs Bears people are were kind of torn about that one um but they ended up you know obviously not making that number one overall pick and people thought Justin Fields was pretty good so it's like it you never really know I, I don't think I don't think Caleb Williams is coming back next year. I don't. I really don't think there's much that could happen that would make him come back. Yeah, I agree. He talks a lot about being immortal and wanting to win that championship to go down in the history books. So if USC falls short of that goal, could that sway him one way or the other? It's possible, but I agree. I just think when you're at the level that he's at, you've shown that you're not too good for college, but he's, you've kind of done everything that you've needed to do. And if you're the number one pick, that's a lot of money on the table. I think he'll be gone too. All right. We've got a couple more callers in the queue. Thanks wow. everyone for calling in. Thanks Three for calling. More. Yeah. All right, caller, you're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Um, this is Dr. K. I should say from Ventura County since Dave says from Iowa. But anyway, um, I also had the chance to look at Colorado um, I watch Utah, which I've spent many years watching Utah and from being up there uh, for many years before we moved down here. And then also Oregon. And I think um, what I would like to hear is dissect a little bit into the defense of the missed passes um, that will be caught, the open runs that will be open, especially Utah. They'll run up. And I'm seeing all these better teams to take advantage of what these lesser teams miss and don't have receivers. So just, just touch base on that and the realism of, yes, we can score 50, 60 points or whatever, but I'm still a little shy about uh, especially the defense. Thanks, Dr. K. Um, I mean, I've watched all those teams, and, uh, and I think Connor sort of mentioned it earlier. I mean, they're all flawed. Like, I was, you know, Washington didn't cover against Tulsa this weekend. Um they left a lot of points on the table. They went into halftime. Kalen DeBoer wasn't happy. Uh, Michael Penix, I think he threw a pick, but they had you know a couple receivers. Like they're stud receivers. Like they, you could argue they have almost as good as a receiving room as USC does. And they were dropping balls. Um, there's, I mean, this is early in the college football season. Teams are flawed. These other teams that you mentioned, you know, Utah, like they, you know, they looked a lot better against uh, Florida at home than they did when they were on the road. And they're going to be playing 
in the Coliseum. You know, Washington struggled. Oregon uh, didn't look that great. I mean, they it, it was a comeback, and then they got a pick six at the very end to make it look a little more respectable. They actually covered the spread at the end with a pick six. Um, you know, against a, a team that already lost, the, Texas Tech lost to, like, Wyoming, right, or something? And uh, so, yeah. Colorado only won because the quarterback for Nebraska couldn't catch a snap? Yeah, he was, they were dropping balls over the place. I mean, I would say that all those teams, like, I, I'm really impressed with what Colorado's done, but USC should just still kill them, you know? Um, it's great what Colorado's doing. I think they're going to go on the road to Oregon and, and really have a hard time, and then USC's going to come in and give them trouble. But I've watched all these teams, and yeah, USC's going to give up some points to some of them, but they're much more flawed than what I've seen from USC, just from, you know, checking these teams out. Doesn't mean when USC goes to Eugene, that maybe they play worse, but man, I, I mean, none of them looked at all that great, you know, but Washington probably looks the best. Their, their defense is a little bit better and their offense is really good that, they, you know, they struggled a little bit this, this weekend, even though they scored a lot of points. But yeah, I would say, you know, look at all those teams. Sure. USC will give up some, some drives. You're going to always give up uh, points to teams like that, but they look more flawed than USC. I agree with all that. Washington's the team that makes me the most nervous if I'm a USC fan because that offense has the potential not to be as good as USC's, I don't think, but the potential to score points and maybe keep you close with the USC. And then if they do well defensively, that could keep them in the game. It's at the Coliseum, so that's huge. Utah, I don't think it's really fair to judge them until Cam Rising comes back. They've looked lost on offense at times. Looking at Oregon, their offensive line hasn't been very good so far to yeah. begin the year. The fact that that game is on the road, though, for USC, that could totally change things. Yeah. Bo Nix almost threw an absolutely backbreaking interception <laughs> against Texas Tech that I thought was going to be upheld, but replay overturned it. So I was surprised to see that. But I, I just think right now USC looks way better than all of these teams. And could that change? It's possible. But like I said at the beginning of the year, the talent on this USC team, they – the schedule is hard, but they should beat most of these teams because they're just better and they have a really good coach. And I'm not moving off that after what I saw against Stanford and what I've seen to begin the year, a team that's getting better each week. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like no one's saying it's going to be easy either. You're, no. you're not expecting th this kind of a defensive performance against a team like Utah or Notre Dame or Oregon for that matter. It's You're not going to hold them to 10 points. I, but you just need to make sure you hold them under 50 because USC's offense has a potential to put up 50 every game. A good offense or a good defensive performance against these highly ranked teams is between you know maybe twenty four to thirty five points. Like you could give up thirty points to Utah, and that is a that is a positive defensive day. You know after the last two games they played against Utah, yeah. like that is you, you're it, winning that game. Like a yeah. good defensive performance against USC is someone only allowing thirty five points. Like that is if you're able to just slow them down, and that's what USC has been looking for on defense against those great teams. And I think the defenses that slow down good teams are the defense that shut down bad teams. And USC has shut down two bad teams now in a row after, I think, a little bit of a rusty game against San Jose State where they were clearly pretty antsy to kind of get out there. Marshawn Lloyd talked about it. I think it was kind of the same for every player that was out there on the field. They wanted to, to prove it, and they were kind of just going a little too hard in week one. But the last two weeks, they have shut down bad teams. And I think those defenses are the ones that are able to just slightly limit the good teams. And, you know, we're not talking about a team ranked around 25. Like these, these are going to be teams that roll into the Coliseum or that USC has to go on the road to and they're top 15, top 10. Maybe they're sneaking into the top eight, top seven, something like that when it's Washington or Notre Dame or Oregon. Those are teams that are already just right behind USC right now. So you're not expecting them to go out there and give up 10 points on the road in Eugene. Like that, that's, that was never going to happen. And maybe it will, and I'll bite my tongue, and I'm sure USC fans would be happy about that one. But you're looking for a defensive performance where you're around that 
30 point mark, maybe a little bit less, because that's what it takes in the modern age of college football with just how good all these offenses are. Yep. All right, we've got two more callers in. We've got Gilbert from Sherman Oaks. Hi, Gilbert, you're on Tunnel Vision. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, Longtime uh, viewer and uh, supporter. Anyway, uh, first, I'd like to say that last night's drone light show was spectacular. Loved it. Every those people that didn't show up for, for the game last night really missed something spectacular. Uh, but my point is, if Caleb decides to come back, well, he's not only the favorite to win the Heisman, but he's the obvious choice to win the Heisman this year. If he were to come back, he would set up an unprecedented consecutive triple of winning the Heisman back to back to back, and nobody will ever do that ever again. Just want to hear your comments on that. I mean, theoretically, yeah. I, I, one of the, I've heard there was this analyst that when Ron Paulus committed to Notre Dame, he had said that he was going to, it was just like Homer analyst that was going to win three Heismans while he was at Notre Dame. Um, yeah, Archie Griffin's the only one that's done the back to back. Caleb Williams has a legit shot at that just because uh, we've talked about this before. His numbers could get better. Like, they were really good last year, and they were the best, but there's room for improvement, and he's already improving on those. I thought, like, having less than five interceptions might be tough, but he doesn't have any through the first three games. So he's on, you know, he's on pace, certainly, to beat that. And USC can win the conference and go to the playoffs, so they can do better as a team. So I feel like that's why he has a good chance at going back-to-back, because there's more upside. Sometimes someone's at the ceiling when they want it, and you're like, there's no way you can beat that. Like, Caleb Williams still has upside. I don't. I mean, I don't know what it would take to win three. Like, if you won, if he wins the second one, like he would have to be absolutely like never miss a pass. Like the whole, and they win a national championship, and they're like, okay, I guess we'll give you the third one. But I don't know. Outside of that, like people don't want to vote for you twice. I don't. I mean, they're going to look for a reason not to vote for you the third time. So, so somehow he would have to win at this one, but still have a little bit more bone left. I, I yeah. I mean, meat left of the bone. I'm not sure. There's so much of the season left, but. If you project it out a little bit, it is looking pretty good for them right now. I mean, Alabama, their quarterback isn't very good. We saw that against Texas. They don't have that star receiver like they've had in the past, like a Devontae Smith who has won the Heisman. Georgia has a new quarterback. Ohio State has a new quarterback. Getting ahead of myself a little bit, but just looking around college football, starting to feel it out a little bit. Caleb Williams right now is firmly the favorite. Shadur Sanders might be the number two guy right now at Colorado, and I think a lot of people in the chat listening to the show think that they're going to free fall here in a few weeks. I don't know what to make of them right now. I, I want to see what it looks like against some better teams. I think Shadur Sanders is a baller, and I've loved what I've seen from him. But I, if it's Caleb Williams against him, obviously I, I'd take Caleb Williams. Way too early to be doing this, but if you're just starting to look around a little bit, Caleb Williams has a real good shot to repeat. And that uh, all the great quarterbacks are in the Pac-12. He gets to play them, you know? And so, and USC is a better team than them. So if he if he takes care of business, like it's, I, I think sometimes it's not in your control. I think this is sort of, he's, he controls his own destiny. Cause like, you'll go beat Colorado. Like Shador's out, Travis Hunter's out. You beat Washington, Penix is out. You beat Oregon, Knicks is out. Like you can beat a lot of those dudes yourself, and like you, and I mean, a lot of the blue bloods around the country, like maybe JJ McCarthy at, at Michigan or something. But Quinn Ewers, you know, Quinn Ewers, um, you know, there's there's some, but like the, a lot of the blue bloods are replacing their quarterbacks, and um, you know, Bryce Young was the returning guy, and it was Alabama, and they they kind of fell off a little bit because they had reached a higher point, 
And, you know, USC didn't get to that higher point when Caleb won the Heisman. So they can go up from that. So he's got a really good shot. And I don't want to, like, I think he is in control of it. Where, where like, Matt Leinart, when he was trying to repeat, I don't think he controlled his own destiny. Because there was all, all this other stuff going on. And, uh, like, a teammate could come up and win it, too. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like there's a, you know, a, as decent shot as any, the, as good a shot as anyone of repeating uh, since Archie you know, Griffin did, but whatever, in the 74, 75 or whatever. So I think he's got as good a shot of anyone. I don't I mean, three. I don't, I don't even think about that. Travis but. Hunter, Marvin Harrison Jr., two guys just obviously keep an eye on, too. And yeah. you mentioned Hunter, but if he keeps doing what he's doing on both sides of the ball, that certainly yeah. gives him a chance. There are too many good quarterbacks this year for a non-quarterback to win the Heisman. I, I have three thoughts. I think he does control his own destiny. I think you kind of said it perfectly. I think that if you need some context as to how well he's playing this year compared to last, it took him four games to get nine total touchdowns last year. He did it in two games this year. He now has 13 total touchdowns through eight and a half quarters of football. So he's clearly on a better pace. Um, and then third thought is, if he wins a second Heisman, there is absolutely zero chance he's coming back to try and win a third one. So we'll move on to our final caller. But some good hypothetical questions, I think, in this episode. This is Brandon from Minnesota. Hi, Brandon. You're on Tunnel Vision. Brandon, Brandon? you there? Oh, sorry. I have myself on mute. Sorry. Uh, call him back for a second time. Sorry to annoy you guys. But uh, question is... Um, Lincoln Riley said last year that we could compete with everyone, but this year, do you think we can beat anyone? And a little quick second question. Do you think, uh, we are, we don't look past anyone. We're not looking past Arizona state, but do you think they are looking forward to that CU game with all the attention that they're getting just to, I, I know they say they don't want to make a statement, but I think we want to make a statement against CU and, uh, Thanks, Brandon. Um, so I would say I do feel like they're just sort of worried about themselves. Like, it's cool. Like, Colorado's a great story, but I don't think it's big enough. That it's not bigger than USC's story, at least in USC's mind, you know, that they're like, ooh, we got to go take care of Colorado. Like, I really don't think that's a, a thing. Um, it's, it's great for college football. It's great for the Pac-12. Um, and USC's going to have a great opportunity to go in there with Ralphie running and all that stuff and do what Nebraska couldn't do and and come out on top of that one. But I don't think that's something that they're really focused on. No, I agree. You know who's going to run the ball down Colorado's throat? Marshawn Lloyd is going to have a huge game against the <laughs> Buffaloes. They cannot stop the run. You got Caleb Williams throwing the ball, so of course USC won't only rely on the run in that game, but how they performed um, against TCU running the ball, Jack, you touched on this a few episodes ago, was not good. I think Lincoln Riley will see that, and I expect that game not to go as people think. Like people are looking at this whole big shootout, really high scoring. I, I I get that. I think USC's defense is a little bit better than people think, and will be able to slow down Colorado. They'll still allow some points, but it, it won't be this crazy shootout that people think. I think USC will run the ball a little bit too, which will eat some clock. Yeah, I think uh, TCU was a team that had the talent to beat Colorado, but not the game plan. Nebraska was a, a team that came in with the game plan to beat Colorado, but just didn't have the talent. And USC is going to be a team that goes in with both. And I, I think they're going to beat Colorado, but I don't think they're thinking about that game right no. now. I think they're going to take a rest. They're going to enjoy their bye week. They're going to work hard through it. They're going to go to Tempe, and then they'll start to think about Colorado. I, I really... You know, I'm kind of drinking the Kool-Aid on the mentality of this team. Like, they are all bought so in. I. They are all, you know, given the right answers when we ask questions like this. They've like, been so well-trained. They, they they clearly are playing for each other. Just, you watch the way they block for each other. Um, you watch the little things, and USC hasn't had players do that, in a, you know, in a while. Um, and it's kind of just everyone. So, I... 
I think I can see why people might think, hey, they're looking ahead. I, I kind of don't think they are. Um, but we can get on to the last couple of questions we've got on YouTube. What, did he have a first part of his question? What was I forget what that yeah, was. Yeah, it was the, do you think they're going to look ahead? And then there was one more, wasn't I there? I forget. That's why I don't ask two. Especially for calling. That's okay. No big deal. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, Cameron had a question from YouTube. He said, why was Lincoln Riley fuming over the refs yesterday? And then also, which unit is to be blamed for the penalties? I didn't think penalties were too big of a deal yesterday. You had, had a couple holding on the... Jalen you know, Smith had a few penalties. Yeah. They The offensive line didn't have any. Uh, there was one... I mean, two of them called back touchdowns. So that would be, um, you know, Marshawn Lloyd had a touchdown call back and, the, and uh, Mike Jackson... Michael Jackson had his punt return touchdown called back, but that it was, um, I think listening to Lincoln Riley in the post-game press conference, you know, people were sort of questioning some of the things. Oh, they gave a bunch of rush yards and he's like, what do you want? I mean, they, they basically did whatever they wanted to do in the first half, but he wasn't really happy with the way the offensive line played in the second half and they couldn't really get anything going. And so I, I feel like he was just coaching to the whistle and really didn't believe that that was a touchdown. And there's no reason not to fight every single one of those. Um, and so, I yeah, I feel like he's just like, we are trying to win all the time. There's only 60 minutes in a game. The last time we're going to play this team, we're not throwing in the towel at any point. We're going to just come in and, and try to and try to win and fight tooth and nail for every yard and, and certainly not want to give up a touchdown if you don't think you did. And, and he and the Listen to him in the press conference. He did not believe that was a touchdown. And I, I got to go back and watch the replay, but I'm not sure. What it, 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 you, you could tell on the replay that Lampson was kind of down. And then you see from under the pile, the ball sticks out across. Like you could see it being moved across after he was already down. So I think USC does have a good argument. I also think the Pac-12 has a good argument for not overturning it. It was so late in the game, kind of an inconsequential to the score. Um, and already being a late game, I understand why they didn't fully go through that that replay it's, review. It's a, it's a mentality thing. Like Ryan For USC, said, I understand. They, yeah. they, Lincoln Riley, why was he so upset? He wants to crush everyone with a shoe like they're a piece of gum. He wants to, you know, dominate these teams. He he said he didn't want to send a message yesterday, and I'm not going to call him a liar. People have gotten mad at me for trying to read into what he said, but how can last night not have sent a message up 49 to 3 at halftime? That sends a message. I'm not sure they're trying to send one, but like I think no, they know they that did, if they play yeah. their brand of football, it, they, it will. You're gonna, that's going to get people's attention. Yeah, yes. Like, yeah. And that's what he said. He said, you know, we don't have to, you know, try and send a message. Whether you like USC or you hate USC, you're waking up and you're checking USC score. So I think he's, they've got a, a you know, pretty good mentality of how to handle that. Blackie Chan asks, what was the play of the game on both sides? And I, I think that's selling USC a little bit short because they, they've talked all about, you know, playing with three sides. I think if I were to, to go with that, I'll, I'll, I'll say Caleb Williams' run, which was just like quarterback shouldn't be able to do what he did. You know, pummeling a guy into the end zone that set the tone for the rest of the game. Then you had—I I know it's early as well—but the Max Williams interception because of how well they played together with Bear Alexander causing the pressure, and then Williams picking it off, and then you had the special teams punt return touchdown. Yeah, the punt return touchdown. Like, duh. I'll go with the Dorian Singer touchdown pass because that was just so athletic. And then the Jamil Muhammad like strip sack from behind. I'll give—I'll give that one the defensive play. Few honorable mentions. Gotta mention Caleb throwing the bomb to Brendan Rice, yeah, the seventy-four was, yard touchdown. That was really pretty. Like, Sixty-five in the air, yeah. What a throw! <laughs> and then defensively, how about Solomon Bird strip sack on Ashton Daniels that Stanford recovered, but it knocked Daniels out of the game. And then we got to see Justin Lampson, who for some reason he had one completion that was pretty nice, but they were deathly afraid of throwing the ball with him. I felt bad for RJ. He was like, "Why are they running the quarterback so much? They're going to get this kid killed." He was embarrassed about his alma mater, and yeah. I, I didn't have an answer. Form. I did not know why they were so dedicated to running 
lamps, and I bet he is hurting today. Yeah. Well, and they would just only run jet sweeps. It was just clear they, they didn't trust him to run a full offense and throw the ball. And he, he was at 1.1 for 7, and they, his second completion was a, a little pop pass that his first completion was nice. Yeah, but other than that, he, he went uh, didn't have another completion after that for, for quite some time. I think it was late in the third quarter. Um, Danny D on YouTube asks, besides Cobb, what other injured players need to mend during the bye week? Uh, let's see. Who else was? Okay. Elijah Hughes went to the to the. He took out the medical, medical tent. tent. Um, but I wouldn't say like, you know. Like that's he's a nice to have sort of piece. Jacoby Covington didn't suit up uh, yesterday, which that was, was the other one. We weren't, you know, fully expecting that one. Yeah, outside of that, I mean, they're relatively healthy. I mean, the fact that Gentry was back and I, Chris put in his ghost notes that he saw Gentry. I think he dapped him up or something, and Gentry he, he heard him tell somebody, "I'm going today," so he knew it was going to get in there. Um, you know, we saw him. It, Cobb. I don't know. It's. Uh, I think he's an important part of this, but the the good thing is there's more depth there at the linebacker spot, and the rest of the guys are playing well. Last year, Cobb might have had to play in this game, uh, and this year he didn't have to because you got other guys, uh, especially in the Nevada game. Like those guys probably would have had to play. Um, you know, you saw Shane Lee playing with a you know cast on his arm or whatever, a club on his hand. Um, they have much more depth now, so you don't have to do that. But I think Cobb's the big one. I think being a captain, you want to get him back and. Uh, you know, especially, you know, two couple of road games, any kind of leadership on the road is going to be uh, a big deal. So I think he's the main one. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. We got some rapid fire ones. Mark asks, why did the referees stop the game when the band played Tusk? They didn't stop the game because of that. They stopped the game because the DJ's music was <laughs> continuing on and USC got distracted. And so Lincoln Riley was laughing on the sidelines uh, about that. Danny D asks again, besides uh, St. Brown, Tyreek Hill, Jerry Rice, Emmett Smith, Andrew Luck, what other stars were at the game? If you read Chris's ghost notes, there's a kind of a full list. I know Michael Strahan was one of them wearing a Caleb Williams jersey, which I thought was pretty funny. And then yeah. there were you know a lot of different people that showed up at the game. But Tyreek Hill being there and you know shouting out Zach Branch. That, that's a pretty cool thing for some of these guys playing in just their third collegiate game. How about Tyreek Hill today? Are you kidding me? He had like 200 yards, right? Wait, how could he be at the USC game last they're, night? They're because playing they're playing the, the Chargers. Chargers. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. I was like, what? Like, how is this possible? Oh, yeah. Chargers yeah, are here. A pretty, pretty cool deal for some of the people, uh, from some of the younger guys in the Coliseum. And then there was one more that I was going to get to. Uh, oh, uh, Howell asks, is Dan Weber going to cover any more games this season? Ryan, you want to take that one? Yeah, so I... I Full disclosure, I forgot he was coming out for this one. So he's doing some projects <laughs> out here. But like, yeah, I walk into the press box and they're like, oh, is Dan coming? I'm like, I don't think so. I'm like, oh, his name is on the thing. Uh, yeah, so it's great to have him out. Uh, he came out to a practice and stuff too. I don't think uh, he might – potential for Notre Dame. I think there's potential because he's closer to that one. So that could happen. Um, he did go to Big Ten Media Day, but if there's stuff, I don't think he's coming to the West Coast, but he's had a pro some projects or whatever he was working on out here. So if that's the case, then uh, he'll be able to come out again. But as of now, the plan isn't to, uh, to have him come out again. All right. And then we've got one final question. Someone, uh, Leonard asks, with USC on a bye this week, who will you watch this next weekend? I'm not sure I've seen the slate yet. So yeah, I'm not, I, I don't say, have a I full answer to that. So the, the Pac-12 slate. I'll be come, watching. This was a great Pac-12 week, and the Pac-12 went seven and three out of conference. Um, you know, Baylor, Texas Tech, uh, Auburn, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Mississippi State, Oklahoma State, Nebraska. Like those are the teams the Pac-12 played this. So I tried to watch all those. This week in the Pac-12, it's like Michigan State, and they just like lost their head coach. Um, Hawaii, you know, Idaho, Fresno State, UTEP. Colorado State, it's just not that good of a slate. Um, so I'll be able to watch a lot of Pac-12 games, but they don't look 
that week two or for the Pac-12 looked great. Uh, week three is not so much, and I try to watch a lot of Pac-12 stuff. I don't know outside of that, like who are the, the huh. top? Is there not much going I'm looking on? looking right now. It's not great. Yeah, that's why I think game days go into Colorado, Colorado State, first chance for them to go watch, you know, Dion, and there's just not many games. I mean, you've got Washington and Michigan State, yeah. which I think you'd normally <laughs> think would be a pretty good game, but after the news today, I'm not sure how, how good that one's going yeah, to be. Yeah, Mel Tucker being suspended. Like South that. Carolina, Georgia, you've got what was supposed to be one of the better offenses in the SEC versus probably the best defense in the SEC. I don't know about South Carolina this year, but that's one where you never really know. I think South Carolina gave them a pretty good test last year, obviously put the hurt on Tennessee last year. So that's could be a good game. Other than that, it's, it's kind of what USC Pickens. was playing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tennessee, Florida, you'd think would be a good one, but it's not really there. There aren't, I don't think there's a single ranked versus ranked matchup. So it, you're not going to have the most fun. I don't think watching college football this week. Yeah. This past weekend was great. Yeah, it was a really good yeah. week of football. And uh, with USC and a late game, at least you get to watch some of those early, earlier ones. You know? Yeah. So. It would have been, it would have been nice that they put Alabama, Texas next week. Could have watched the whole thing for that one, but yes. instead just got to catch a little bit of it in the press box. But it, that's kind of all we've got for for today. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, thanks to everyone for checking in. If you're watching on our Twitter feed, the live Twitter, or, or X or whatever it's called now, or if you're watching on Facebook. Uh, I know on YouTube we had like 550 people watching live. So thanks so much for doing that, hitting the like button, telling your friends about it. Subscribe. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to go over to uscfootball.com, sign up for a VIP membership. You can get 30% off for a dollar for your first month. You will not regret it. Tons. I mean, the amount of content going up is absolutely insane. It's hard to even keep up. So if you love USC football, you're here watching us. Uh, while well, there's a blowout going on on Sunday Night Football. Um, NFL equivalent of last night. Yeah, really, it's really bad. Uh, thank you for being with us, but make sure you go check out the site. There's tons of stuff going on there. The, the Peristyle community is amazing. If you like interacting on the chat here, the Peristyle, I mean, it's absolutely insane. You'll love it. So make sure you go check that out. Yeah, really got to shout out some specific pieces. Connor has a great article about Zachary Branch. Chris wrote what he thought is maybe the longest ghost notes of his life for the game yesterday with some really interesting insight. RJ had that great article about the killer instinct. Dan wrote a column for coming to his first USC game since the Cotton Bowl that Sam Darnold played against Ohio State. So his thoughts of kind of looking at USC football in person for the first time since that was a during the Clay Helton era before everything went to shit uh, and, and his kind of firsthand view of that. So there's some there's some excellent stuff on the site right now, including oh. Connor's article as well. Thank you, Jack. And to wrap up the question about all the games, Fresno State, Arizona State, 730 Saturday night, you can see it's out of the Pac-12 network? Yeah. Uh, FS1. Oh, there you go. So you can see it, actually. Yeah, and you yeah. can see USC's uh, next opponent play. Fresno State is actually going to be good. They could be ranked in the future, so uh, I think they'll beat Arizona State. Yeah, Jeff Tedford, good coach. Arizona State's not looked that good. Um, they beat a, a FCS team by three. But besides that, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Stay away. It's not It's not a very <laughs> a very good site. And uh, happy belated birthday to our beloved Jack. Who Thank is, you. Who's now appreciate that. Counting down till he can legally drink. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, also two different podcasts to listen to today as well. Obviously, we mentioned that interview with Taj Washington. Ryan had the the coach interview with Harvey Hyde, and then it's going to be a pretty interesting Pac-12 podcast champions episode this week because you'll get to talk about this USC Stanford matchup as well as eight different Pac-12 teams are in the rankings, which is the most of all time. But yeah, I, I was surprised that Washington State cracked in. I thought UCLA should have been in last week. So the fact that now they're they're both in there alongside Colorado and everyone else is it is a pretty wild week to be in. Pac-12 football, and of course the one Pac-12 on Pac-12 game we've gotten hasn't exactly lived up to that hype, but a really good year for the conference. But yeah. that's all we've got for you guys today. For Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette, I'm Jack Smith. Thank you so much for watching Tunnel Vision. All right, will we be here next week without 
the game. So not preview Thursday. We'll see about Sunday. We'll you know we'll see what you guys are feeling. We maybe we'll do a, a kind of react a, to the to the terrible games of Saturday. Maybe we'll do something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But thank you guys. So thank you guys so much for watching. At the very worst, we will be back here in a couple Thursdays to preview USC's matchup against Arizona State in Tempe. But thank you guys so much for watching. We hope you enjoyed the game yesterday against Stanford, and we'll see you at least in.